you know, inspiration is not something that comes to you. It's about endurance somehow. I think it's a strange word, actually, when it comes to making art. Most of the time it's quite hard and you have moments when it's enjoyable, but it's more often a struggle, I think. That was Anna Pierga, and this is Nordic Portraits. Anna Bjerga is a visual artist working primarily with figurative painting. Her work draws its inspiration largely from found images, namely photographs featured in out-of-print books, vintage magazines and travel brochures. Since training at the Royal College of Art London, Anna has spent the last two decades building a strong international profile and her work has subsequently been acquired by the permanent collections of the Louisiana Museum of Modern Art, Moderna Museet Stockholm, and Stedelijk Museum Amsterdam, amongst many others. Anna, welcome to Nordic Portraits. Thank you. Anna, as I alluded to in the introduction, you often incorporate found images in your artistic practice. And I just wondered, this act of almost obsessively viewing photographs, is that something you can recall having been interested in since childhood? Yes, very much so. It's kind of hard to imagine, but when we grew up, there weren't so much to um, to do. <laughs> and uh, we used to have one art book at home, which I used to look at, but I also liked to look at photographs. And I just liked to look at whatever was happening behind the actual scene of what you were photographing. I found that fascinating somehow. So the kind of things that were there by chance or... They overlooked, I suppose. And uh, when I went to college, I was, when I sort of started to build up my own world of like my language and process, I started to use my own photographs. And then they sort of became too tainted somehow with my own experience. And I wanted to get away from that to be more objective, I suppose. So I started to use found imagery where I kind of, in the process of painting, could somehow put my own experiences into them. So I would use often quite generic images. So they could almost be my own or they could be anyone's, but the focus was on the painting rather than my personal story. And then that's become a really big part of my process to go out and look for books and images and look through them in my studio and that's sort of where I start to find connections and create a new context for them and the body of work will grow out of that but I will be I won't have a theme or anything like that it will be very intuitive how I work it could be uh, references to things you know painting or other things but I, I wanted to leave it very open always but there will still be a logic to me and how I select them, so it's not completely arbitrary. However, <laughs> in the latest body of work I've been doing, I've actually not been using photographs. And for the last year, I've been started to use my own images again, but more coming from a observant point of view. So not personal images. Again, they have this, they could be anyone's feeling, but they are actually my own, because I also felt like I was getting a bit bored with 
my own process and I needed another way in. But that feels quite late in one's career to break with yeah. process. Yeah, I know. But I think to someone else, they might not see that or it might not be so obvious. But I think, you know, you have these rules you set up for yourself as an artist. And I think, you know, sometimes you need to break those rules and it's fine. But it's a big thing, especially when you talk about your work, you kind of have this way of talking. I mean, it's good to kind of pull the carpet sometimes under your feet and sort of, okay, that's not why I make work is to sort of sit and look through these books. It's just the process. You know, I live in the forest. I've lived there for 18 years. I've never painted my surroundings, but I will look for an image that looks like my surroundings. <laughs> it's like so weird how you kind of... It's been so important that there is someone else's image, someone else's selection of space that I paint and light and everything. And then now it's just opened up a lot of other thoughts and a lot of other, um, yeah, just another, I feel like I'm constantly thinking about sky, you know, sky, sky, how can I paint sky? I want to paint sky. And then I kind of walk around for a long time and it would be with me. And then all of a sudden it's just there and it, would not necessarily even be one image it could be several that I can use and I feel much more engaged at the moment and I still have my archive and I still probably will return to that and maybe uh, I'm thinking there are ways to kind of work with both at the same time or see how you can interrelate these sources so but it, it's just interesting to see what happens because to me the interesting is what's happening when you paint something you know the transformative element of painting it to take something and make it into a painting and how to do that and how to think about material to think about translating something into paint so I think that's what comes through in whatever way I choose my sources hmm. and Regarding that very process, whereby you sift through your own archives and select images, can you just provide a little insight into where your mind is at while you're doing it in terms of what images pique your interest and what it is that makes you connect with certain images and not with others? Well, it could be, for example, usually before I start working, I will just read and I will look at stuff and I would not try to have a direction in that sense but there will be like a, it's not a theme at all I would rather say there could be a sense of something I want to get to but I don't really try to articulate it but letting it be this kind of sense of something and when I see that thing I know that this is the thing and to someone else they might not look like anything of course and then from that, it will lead me on to the next thing and then the next thing. And all of a sudden, there's this dialogue between the works. And I mean, it's just a way for me to kind of make it interesting as well, to make work. I mean, it's a discovery. So it's, it's not making a plan. Or I want to make an exhibition about this. It's much looser than that. And then in the end, there hopefully will be a red thread running through the work and it will come together. And I think the paintings will communicate with each other, which is most important. You mentioned that when you were younger, viewing these pictures, you were often less interested in the protagonist and more so in what was happening in the background. Mm. Do you think that extended to the way that you viewed your own surroundings as a child? Well, the thing was, I grew up on an island outside Gothenburg and it was, 
a very uh, religious place. I was very religious as a child. And I think that influenced my thinking a lot, of course. It's very visual. And also it was a Pentecostal church. So it was quite a lot of frightening images that I had in my head to deal with. And I think somehow maybe it influenced me in my also choice of having a need to communicate something that I couldn't put words on, basically. Maybe it was a starting point. I don't know. I drew a lot, and but I also drew a lot because it was one of those things I felt I could do because I didn't really know what art was in that sense. I mean, we had this art book at home and I used to look at it and I used to be really fascinated, like all the classic big famous works from maybe 1700 to 1900, so not anything past that. And then I was just very happy living on this island, cycling around very free. But it was also this dark side, which was actually living with the church and um, a lot of frightening uh, scenarios being played out for a child, I think. And then we left the island and I moved away from the church because everyone was involved with that at school and all the activities and camping. And so it was a very specific community, very out there. Hmm. And some things were really good as well, of course. So when I moved into the biggest city, Gothenburg, that's when I kind of also made my mind up. I didn't want to be part of that. That wasn't for me. And that was also quite a long process. I was 11, maybe. And I was quite relieved, actually. But I was also quite worried about what would happen to me. And how did your parents feel about that decision? Well, they were not religious. So I was probably the... <laughs> I was the only... Like, not in that sense. They, they both came from religious backgrounds, but... And I don't think they really saw what happened to me, actually, because it was such a social, you know, we sang in the choir, it was like Bible studies, it was just everyone went. But it was quite intense, I would say. Yeah. And were your parents always supportive of your passion for art? Did art play any role in your childhood home? Um, well, no, not really, I wouldn't say. My grandfather was a hobby painter, and I thought that was what being an artist was really like <laughs> when I was little. But they've always supported me in my choices, for sure. But I was quite old the first time I visited an art museum. And and I think it's quite good in a way that you kind of make that journey on your own. It's not something you have in your mother's milk. I had to work quite hard to kind of understand all that. I remember when I was a child and I asked my mother, what's culture? You know, what is that? <laughs> she was like, that's a very hard question to answer. <laughs> and I think it is, of course it is, what is culture? But to me, it was an amazing thing to discover, like painting and going to art school was amazing. I felt very privileged. You mentioned art school. Of course, you made the big move as a young woman to London to study both at St. Martin's and also at the Royal Academy of Art. How do you reflect on that chapter of your life and the role it's played in your development as an artist? Well, I felt a great sense of freedom coming to London. And um, also it was an, an exciting time, I think, to be there because it was kind of at the time where everything was happening there. Like there was a, 
a strong tradition of painting still, whereas in a lot of other places, painting was not the thing to do. You know, if I look at Sweden at that time, it was more conceptual photography, film. Yeah, no, and I think it was really liberating to come and study abroad. No one knows you and you can be who you want to be. So was it hard then for you and your husband, James, who you met in London, to decide to relocate to Sweden? You purchased quite a remote property, well, in the middle of a forest. And I note that you moved there in the month of February, in the middle of a snowstorm. Was there any point that you were feeling that Covent Garden feels a long way away? (laughs) It was actually really exciting that time because we bought this old school in October and then there was this huge storm in Sweden, really big, like Orkan, Orkane. Hurricane. Hurricane, yeah. And um, our house was in the middle of a forest, but when we came in February, all the trees were down. (laughs) It was like insane in huge area of Sweden it was just like the big giants that had a party there it was just everything was down and then I remember sitting on the steps crying because it was so horrific but at the same time people helped us to get rid of the trees and it was also you were in the middle of this big trauma people were traumatized because also being left in the forest on their own without water or you know just there was no one who came for days a situation like that you don't think that can happen yeah, so it was a lot of drama around that. So, but it was kind of a new adventure somehow. And we thought we would stay there for two years. And then we just stayed on. But it's been a good place to uh, live and work and have a family. Yeah. How do you feel that move and the significant change of scenery has impacted you creatively? I think because I felt that when we were living in London, it was such a struggle, everything. And because, of course, when you have children, it's like life becomes about something else or like you are responsible for someone else. And everything just changed, of course. And I felt like I didn't have any control of my life in a way. And I felt quite lonely as well because I didn't really know anyone else who had children. And so in a way, taking control of your life and even though you might think I was more lonely in the forest, at least it was my choice. And to be in the studio was a luxury enough at that time. And to be able to do that every day was all that I wanted. Whereas in London, we had to take turns and it was a struggle to kind of who's going to go to the studio. And it felt like a great opportunity to do both of those things that felt important, which is to be with my kids and also work. With your husband also being a very accomplished visual artist, Mm. what role do you feel art theory and practice plays in the dynamics of your relationship? I think it's it's a big part, of course. You know, he's my greatest critic. (laughs) He's a very honest person. But also to have someone who understands whatever you're going through as an artist or the doubt. And I think maybe if he had another profession be a bit exhausting to live with someone who's an artist. I don't know. But also the insecurity and everything. We've been able to pull each other through mm. these last 20 years. But also, you know, to have that shared interest, even though we don't necessarily always talk about it. <laughs> we, we don't, but it, you don't really need to either. I can see when he comes into my studio, I can read his body language. I know <laughs> exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, on another note, Anna, would it be fair to say that compared to many of your contemporaries, you work quite swiftly as a painter? I've read elsewhere that you more often than not won't take a break and instead will just complete a work in one sitting. Is that really the case? Um, yes, sometimes. There are like, for me, some paintings happen like that. And sometimes I have to go back to them, but I don't like to go back to a painting that's dry. The paint still has to be wet. And most of the times I will finish a painting in one, especially the smaller works. I kind of like that you can almost take them apart sometimes. You know, you see them and you can almost see the brush marks and see how they've been put on. And it never becomes precious. You know, if I work for too long, I become blind to what actually is good for the painting. You stop seeing it properly. But saying that, I have some works I've been working on for weeks, but then I usually pour something every night. So it's a new painting every time I come in in the morning. I will kind of half destroy it so that it's a surprise when I come in and I will work again. <laughs> so that element of surprise is really important to you? Yeah, I think so. You know, elements of chance or whatever, it's playing with that, but kind of controlling it and choosing to have it or not choosing to have it. You know, those decisions that you need to make. And at this stage of your career, is it pretty clear to you when you've gone too far in terms of overworking a piece? Yes, often too late though. And that's mm. the thing. And then often that's hard to retrieve. But also, you know, sometimes you do have to carry on and push it to the ground as well, because those paintings can be important. They're not successful paintings, but they were important maybe for the next painting. Well, in relation to that idea that there is meaning in even maybe the less successful works, you've said in the past that inspiration takes time. I found that really compelling. Can you share your thoughts on what you mean by that? No, but I think it's what I talk about, you know, inspiration is not something that comes to you. It's about endurance somehow to sort of use it and wait for it. And then I think it's a strange word, actually, when it comes to making art, because, I mean, of course, you can get an insight into, so I want to do this or whatever. But when people think that you're inspired when you make a painting, I don't think that's necessarily true. It's like my dad always says, it must be hard for you to find inspiration every day. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't. But I think to be involved, to feel involved with what you're doing, that's what's important for me, mm -hmm. to feel engaged. I'm just thinking on the way here, you know, this thing that I enjoy painting, of course, but I also don't enjoy painting. Most of the time it's quite hard and you have moments when it's enjoyable, but it's more often a struggle, I think. And when I said that it takes time for inspiration, I think it's like something accumulative. And it often comes from reading or seeing art or connecting things. Have you had periods where, upon reflection, you feel like you haven't fully been present whilst working? Yeah, I think you go through emotions. I mean, of course. But you need that time as well when it's, you're not feeling like even being in the studio, but, you know, just got to stay in there and sooner or later it will come. Is it thrilling to 
walk into the studio every morning and not know what the day might bring? Yeah, I actually think that's a good question because I think opening the door to my studio every day, I always feel this hope that it might be a good day. I feel excited. And then five minutes later, I might not feel like that at all, but I feel lucky to be able to do it. It's um, it's a privilege. Yeah. So if we take, for example, your new exhibition, A Face in the Clouds, that's about to open at Gallery Borbiago, is it safe to say that for a show like that, there were a lot of unsuccessful pieces along the path to preparing the final selection that the public will experience in the space? Yes, I think, well, I don't know, because I haven't really counted them, but I also often paint over. And you can often, if you look closely, you can actually see there is a kind of ghost image behind, or there is remnants of something behind the painting. So I don't mind that that's part of the work. Um, and the surface can be quite rough because there is layers underneath. But because I paint on this aluminium, which is very slick in itself, I feel like it can take that kind of rough treatment. So those decisions that you make about material is also about knowing it so well. So why did you then decide upon aluminium as opposed to traditional canvas? Um I always used MDF when I was at college. I like the kind of hard surface. You don't have the grain of the canvas. And um, because of the way I paint, it sort of just felt like that smoothness really suited it. And then I discovered aluminium, which is, I think, much more of an elegant material. And also the way when you prime it and you have this, it's almost like a sheet of paper to paint on. It's so thin. Yeah, I mean, those things <laughs> can get excited about. But I've actually, there's a one big painting in the show which is on canvas. And I think when you go up in size and you start using bigger brushes, it makes sense also to use canvas because it's a different expression somehow. When you're inspired by a photograph and you then decide to translate that moment through your own painting, mm. how direct is that representation? Like if I was to go back to the original photograph, would it be more or less a one-to-one -one depiction in terms of angle and lighting and composition? Um, the sort of formal aspects of the image or the motif I will take, I won't change that much. I might reduce it, but I will keep the light, the colours, the composition, because I feel like I'm kind of borrowing the whole thing. Then I might simplify it somehow or the focus point might be on something else or I might emphasize some bits, but I wouldn't change an angle or the colors. And given that more often than not, you like to sit with a work until you've completed it. Wh what is your mindset like when you're embarking upon a new painting, particularly those that are more ambitious or large scale? Well, I try to focus almost like I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> no, not a marathon, obviously. No. If I say that I'm going to, you know, I will start tomorrow at nine o'clock, for example. I will gear myself up a bit if I'm making a bigger painting. I kind of like that. Also because I like to work for many hours. You need to sort of mentally prepare yourself. So I know what I'm going to do and I, I will think about the colours and go in and do it. Because also 
I don't want to have to kind of leave it and go back the next day if I don't have to. Hmm. What's the best thing for you, Anna, about being a visual artist? I think it's the freedom and that there are no rules. And the worst thing? The freedom. (laughs) 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 No, it's... uh, What's the worst thing? I mean, sometimes it's lonely, I think. And um, I wish I had, like, a job. I could drink coffee with my colleagues. But, um, I mean, you have to be very organised to make it work. I was actually, this morning, I was thinking about when you have young children and you are so organised and time was so precious. The time I had in the studio was very effective and it was kind of life or death almost all the time. And But I liked the way that when I was in the studio, I would be in one way. And then when I was with the kids, it was a completely different way of thinking. And those two modes, they really sharpened me up somehow. I felt now it's sort of different because I don't have that. So it's much more floating somehow and you have to kind of navigate that. Do you enjoy discussing your work with those that come face to face with it? Yeah. I think it's difficult, but it's really important to try. I might not be so good at it, but I want to try as best I can. And when I was younger, you know, I felt I always let my work down in a way because you kind of have this developed language in painting, which you practice every day. And then you try to talk about it and it feels really like... um, Reductive. Yes, it does. But I think it doesn't really matter in a way. People ask questions usually and you answer as well you can. Is it hard sometimes to articulate why you have chosen to redeem a certain image or convey certain themes through your work? Yeah, I mean, because sometimes I don't know if I have an answer and I think that's fine to say because that's not necessarily important. It's what's there that's important, not why I chose it. And I think I can talk about that in a wider sense in terms of the body of work or context because I'm working in an intuitive way. I'm not asking myself every time. I, I, I think I used to do that when I was younger and like after art school or whatever, you felt like someone's going to knock on your back all the time and ask what you're doing, why are you doing it? And then you kind of realise no one's going to do that now. I don't have to explain myself all the time. <laughs> This doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about it, because I am. But one of the good things of getting a bit older is that all these things become easier. Hmm. So you said that you often like surprising yourself through the work. Hmm. Taking the step in August last year to take your own photography and use your own images in the new work, what surprises has that brought in terms of adding a variation to your traditional way of working? Well, when I paint, I always try to think of what I'm painting. What does it feel like? What does it smell like? If it's an arm, what's the feeling of this skin on my, you know, all the, uh, so, you know, if I feel like I don't know what to do, I would go for a walk rather than sit and look through my, I would go for a walk and I would, you know, look at trees and it's like a much more direct response to what's in front of me. It's so simple, this. But, you know, simple can be hard as well. Like, using these other images was a way of kind of explaining things to myself or complicate things somehow or make it more interesting, this sort of 
directness in the experience. But um, I really enjoyed doing this show. And I felt very immersed in it somehow all the time because I've been thinking about it all the time when I do other things, when I'm out of the studio. So a moment like we find ourselves in now where you've just delivered the work for an exhibition, what does it look like for you to have a break in your schedule and just a clean slate right now as an artist? Um, I've got loads of cupboards <laughs> to clear up. No, I've got lots of books I want to read and like... I don't know. It's quite a strange time until the show's hung, I think. And then it's always a bit weird as well when the show is on. But, you know, enjoy it as well. The opening and hanging the show is always, I think, an important part as well. Making those decisions of hanging things next to each other. And the work is like not yours anymore almost. It sort of takes its own life in a different space. And it's a nice feeling somehow. Hmm. You mentioned earlier, Anna, that being a visual artist can be quite lonely at times. There aren't obviously a lot of opportunities to collaborate, but you did work with the critically acclaimed Norwegian author Karl Ove Knausgård as part of his 2016 release Spring, mm. where you provided a series of paintings for the publication. I'm just interested in how that came about, Anna, and what that was like for you as a creative partnership. I was a great fan. I've just finished all, all, all the... the My Struggle books. My Struggle books, yeah. Min Kamp, Sonometa in Swedish. So I was really amazed by those books. And I was talking about them a lot at the time to my friends. And then I got an email from him and it was really like funny because I almost thought someone joked with me. But that felt so, you know... When you work alone and someone else who works alone reaches out and asks you if I want to do this, it just felt very rewarding. And also, sometimes it's nice to have a direction from someone else if it's a project like that, which you don't feel like it's compromising. And, uh, you know, I still get mail from like this week, I got mail from the Chinese publisher who's publishing it. I mean, it's a great thing to get my paintings out in the world in a different, you know, not in a gallery context. And I think it's a beautiful book. Is it interesting for you to see your work connected to prose in that way? Yeah. I've done a few book covers and record sleeves, but I think it's a great way to collaborate. It happens so rarely. Just as we draw to a close, Anna, I noted that you recently celebrated your 50th birthday. Mm. And I'm not sure whether that's been cause for reflection, but I just wondered what would be one piece of advice that you would provide your younger self if you could go back and meet young Anna on the island of Ukula? <laughs> There's so many things <laughs> I'd like to say, but, um, you know, everything's going to be all right. Um, don't worry so much, maybe. Do you find you worry less these days? Yes, I think so. I think there's definitely a benefit of getting older. And uh, it sounds really uh, big-headed, maybe, but some kind of wisdom that comes with age that you can't acquire any other way and just through experience. And uh, things also happen like parents dying or your children growing up. Like those milestones, they do something with you. 
And I think at some point I felt like, okay, I'm an adult now. But that was probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could actually really feel that. Um, but you also, I think you, it's easier to grasp what's important. Does your vocation as an artist play a big role in how you see your own identity today? Well, that's a really hard. It's very hard because I don't know anything else. It's so hard to sort of. Someone was in my house yesterday, and he'd been traveling. You know, the last twenty years I've been in my studio. He'd been living in so many countries, and you know, the opposite. I was like, that's also a life. Mm. My life seemed really like small, <laughs> but no, it's not. But it's sort of. The choices you've made, um, it was so fascinating somehow to think about it. But I think, no, I don't think I can separate the two. And just finally, Anna, what do you think is the best possible compliment that someone could give you after having experienced your work? That's that's really difficult. Um, It's more, you know... When someone's really looking at it, I think that's, you know, but just to feel like it's being looked at and because, you know, if you're a figurative painter, you have the image and you have somehow the painting and you, and I think with my work, maybe you see the image first and then you start seeing the painting and the image becomes less important. And I think when you feel like someone engages in that way, that's a great compliment. Mm. Well, Anna, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Same. And I just want to thank you so much for making the time and sharing your story with us today. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Nordic Portraits is a series by me, Ben Catford. The music was composed by Nina Liu and the visual identity by Copenhagen-based studio Frame. To learn more about today's guest and all the others from this season, visit nordicportraits.net. You can also follow us on Instagram and remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes so we can get the word out. Thanks for listening.